There are a good many ways that institutional investors are taking best advantage of this versatile market created by broad public participation. Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. I'm Matthew Hals-Barbie and today I'm speaking with Shane Mack from XMTP. Communication has evolved an enormous amount over the past three decades. First came email in the form of ARPANET, and then with the introduction of the internet, we were all of a sudden able to communicate almost instantly with people across the globe. This had never been possible before, and it's easy to forget the growth that's kind of happened in the past 20 years to take more and more aspects of our lives online and more and more of us online. Back in just 1998, there were only 147 million people online. Now we're well into the billions. And back then, they were greeted by the beautiful noise of their dial-up modem each time. Since those days, we've seen instant messaging appear in the form of AIM and MSN, the rise of social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, then mobile messaging through WhatsApp, WeChat, and many more. Now, we're about to embark on the next phase of communication, and it's going to take place in Web3. Blockchain wallets have become a new source of digital identity online, making them kind of the home for our personal financial history. They give us community access and so much more. Yet, in spite of all this, and how entrenched into our online and our lives within metaverse and blockchain right now, there's no great way to communicate between wallets. This is what XMTP and one of a few companies looking to solve this problem right now. And they're looking to build a communication protocol for the blockchain. And I had a great conversation with one of the founders, Shane Mack. We dig into this problem and exactly how they're attempting to solve it all. And I think for anyone interested in how we are going to communicate online moving forward and how it's going to change from where we are today, I think you, you, you're going to love this episode. So we'll get right into that episode and the interview in particular straight after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step -step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. Shane, welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Why don't we just, before we dig into XMTP, why don't we just chat a little bit about how you got involved in the crypto space to, to begin with and what's kind of brought you to where you are today? Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Like many stories start in uh, the San Francisco early days. So for me, that was 2010, 11, 12. I randomly met a guy on a train 
who was named Adam Draper. And the funny story is it was back in the social network days when everyone was on these new social apps and photo sharing apps. And there was this app called path. And this app called path was like a more private, more uh, family or friend circle, intimate Facebook. And it was founded by an ex Facebook guy named Dave Morin. And the, the person on the train, this guy randomly, I'm going down to Menlo park. I was going to a dinner and he taps me on the shoulder and he says, Hey, are you Shane? And I was like, yeah, I am Shane. <laughs> he's, like, I'm, he's like, I'm Adam Draper. And I'm like, uh, I don't know who that is, but it's great to meet you. And he goes, is, is this you? And he holds up his phone and it's a picture of me and this guy named Jeff Morris, who now is at chapter one ventures and is a pretty um, well-known person in the web three space. Uh, I was working with Jeff at the time and we hung out almost every day and we were always going out and having dinners and drinks together um, and ended up, they went to grade school together and on path, Jeff, Jeff had posted a photo of us the night before. And I just remember the density of SF and the offline and online worlds colliding and the networks were so small and intimate and a really special place and moment in time. And then this guy named Adam starts talking to me about blockchain and Bitcoin. And I'm like, man, this sounds like sci-fi. And I remember just thinking like we just started building mobile apps and we were building kind of local marketplaces and the Ubers were happening to the world and all that stuff was kind of happening. And, but the coolest thing about San Francisco was this network of people working on the future. And if you were curious enough and open-minded enough and not judgmental enough about what you didn't know, you could really, you know, looking back, see the future. And I didn't really get it. I didn't really understand it. I just remember someone telling me, oh, Adam Draper is so legit. You should listen to him. And I was like, interesting. And he told me that day, he said, listen, I would think of Bitcoin as a 10-year science experiment. And if it works and you never sell it, it could be really fundamental and a new way to actually think of a currency and uh, a value globally. And it could be its own currency someday. And at the time, this is 2011, that seemed really kind of weird. I was like, mm, <laughs> I don't really know about that, man. Uh, but he said, but if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And he said, but really, you have to think about it in a decade science experiment and be able to just kind of like see what happens. Um, that day I went home, I bought uh, 50 Bitcoin actually. And I that's, remember- That's a profitable trade journey, right? <laughs> Yeah, $44. And wow. I remember, you know, a lot of lessons I learned, but that got me into the space and I didn't really know what I was doing. I just really was curious. And, you know, the lesson I learned there is that you really have to have a belief system or someone you truly believe in that allows you to kind of hold on for that long. Because the whole time, I remember when it hit $400, I was like, man, that's a 10X. I should probably sell. And then it hit $800 and people were like, you're nuts. Like you, if you don't sell those coins, like what are these token claims? What tokens? What are tokens? And I just remember this whole thing. And I went through this whole emotional roller coaster. And then I just, the luckiest thing I ever did is ignored it. I started building a company called Assist, which was business messaging. And I did that for the last seven to nine years. I was CEO for about seven. And then uh, I, we sold the company in 2019 and I was uh, doing a earn out for two years. And so about almost a decade of my life, the greatest thing that ever happened is that when I was CEO of a messaging company, I had no time to think about crypto and I kind of forgot about it. Uh, and so just the Bitcoin and then Adam Draper. And then, you know, he told me literally, I got an email from Adam Draper in 2014 and he said, 
hey, I might buy the coin with a dog on the front. And you might want to buy some too because moms and uh, teenagers are using it because they love the dog. And I'm like, is this a real email? Is this real or is this a joke? And I remembered, so I took, I took three Bitcoin at the time and I converted it to 500,000 Dogecoin. Um, and it was my first time ever think like understanding how to do a conversion across exchanges and all this stuff. And so the funny story is that that exchange I put those Bitcoin in was actually a total fraud. It was called Cripsy. And if you search CripsySettlement.com, the government took it over. The person I think moved to China, took all of our Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, that Dogecoin today, I think is worth half a million bucks or something because of Elon. But it's a, it's been a funny road and a funny ride. Um, it, but mostly recently, you know, 2016, 17, I got the same DM from Adam and I call, I call Adam Draper, my crypto banker, uh, because yeah. I always ping him. If you search Shane Mac, Twitter, Adam Draper, I just ask him questions over the last decade. And you can literally see every moment I ever like bought, asked questions, changed strategy, whatever. And he said, Hey, I think I'm going to move 25 to 50% of our Bitcoin into Ethereum. Um, and then that was kind of the catalyst for ETH. He again, gave me the signal, but then all of my web two founder friends from SF and all of the kind of greatest engineers I know in the last five years all started working on it. And that's when I really, you know, I always follow the developers, follow the talent, follow the network, and then kind of the venture and capital will follow that. And that really got me interested in what was happening in the Ethereum world. And uh, that's been the last, you know, three to five years. Oh, I mean, sounds like an, an exciting journey. <laughs> roller coaster at times like i mean pretty much every interaction with getting into the crypto spaces and and i guess that's left you where you are today right as co-founder of xmtp and i'm sure that's that's also been quite the roller coaster so far so why why don't we dig in a little bit there why don't you give a bit of an overview into what xmtp is high level kind of like how it works right now and yeah, and then we can dig a little bit deeper from there. Awesome. Yeah. You know, and I will say that, you know, you said it probably kind of a roller coaster. I really feel like this isn't our first rodeo building a startup. Startups can be a roller coaster, but you can also choose to be as calm and as intentional as you can. Um, and so we really, we really actually try to be a mature startup. We try not to be a roller coaster, we value clarity and curiosity and celebrating what we don't know, not what we do, and also trying to do less things better than try to do everything and be kind of like, aka a roller coaster. And so I just wanted to kind of say, I think we've, we've tried to do it differently. I don't know if we're always succeeding, but it is our goals and our aspirations. Um, as we look at the space, we, see that we think there's a great opportunity to really um, build a great culture and attract great talent who want to actually build a more mature startup. Are you, are you glad that uh, this is kind of your, your second startup versus this being the first like thing that you decided to go and build? Uh, for sure. I, sometimes I always joke, like I, I can't imagine if this was actually my first. Um, yeah. Or maybe you just kind of like black out those moments in time of all the things you didn't know and all the stress and anxiety you had. Um, and it's still stressful and it's still you know, a lot of anxiety, but I think over the years you learn how to deal with that better. You learn how to acknowledge it and be more honest about the things that aren't working, be clear with the team, be more self-aware. And so I'm just really, I feel like you get to build a more calm and intentional culture when you have those personal kind of experiences, not to say like being young and being a founder isn't great. I actually think it's awesome. And 
I was very lucky to have older mentors around me, but still, I feel like I brought a lot of manic energy. I brought like intensity above all else. And I think I had a lot of blind spots that I wasn't aware of. So I, I am, I am excited to go after something um, as ambitious as I think XMTP is with a little more experience and kind of calmness under my belt. Right. For sure. I, I, I can, I can only imagine uh, how valuable that will be. So what is XMTP? What, what are we talking about here? What is it that you're up to? What are you building? Yeah, very simply, it's a way for wallets to communicate with each other in Web3. And XMTP comes from SMTP, which is the email protocol that allows Gmail to send an email to Hotmail or Hotmail to send an email to Outlook. And it makes email interoperable. And so as you think about this space, wallets are becoming the identity layer. Everyone who comes into this space and has a wallet has an address and you can move trillions of dollars around every day in crypto and you can't send a message to an address. And so we were like, that seems crazy. <laughs> and we were talking to one of our first investors, this guy named Robert Leshner, who is the founder of Compound Protocol, which is one of the biggest DeFi products. He said, listen, I have $11 billion in a smart contract and I can't literally send a message to 90% of the people who own it and I have all their addresses. It's wild only, when you think about this, yeah. really, isn't it? It's the, like the first time, especially for a a space that is so centered around community and being like, even when I think about things like DAOs and stuff like that, the only way people are communicating right now is, yeah, join this Discord or this Telegram or some other like kind of abstracted route from the the wallet. It, it, it blows my mind that we haven't got solutions in place uh, for, for this yet. <laughs> Yeah. And it, it always kind of happens this way. You know, there's early things that happen. You create a new identity layer. And then shortly after the identity layer becomes a new communication protocol. And this happened with URLs, then email followed that. It happened with the phone number and then texting followed that. And then it happened in web two. And in web two, every single social network created a new identity. And then they all tried to create their own communication layer. And you ended up in this fragmented walled garden layer of the last 15 years which is basically like every single platform has a different messaging app. And now we end up in this world where we have 19 messaging apps and they're all different and they're not interoperable. And it's kind of crazy to even keep up with, you know, who messaged you where. And it seems like in that example of like web two, the central kind of the, the linchpin of all of that's largely linked to an email address, right? Today in web two, you've got, your Facebook account, your Instagram account, you've got your Twitter account, et cetera, et cetera. And all of it, you kind of tie together with your email, even though they're not interoperable. Uh, do you see in Web3, the wallet address at least kind of being the the replacement or the comparison of like email in Web2 Web or the email address, should I say, in, in Web2? Or do you see there's some very distinct differences? I think what we're seeing is very simple, which is in web two, it was email, but it was also SMS. A lot of the messaging apps, the telegrams, the signals, et cetera, they're actually built upon the SMS layer, the phone number. And so you have the phone number and the email. Those are tied to your identity, but they're not tied to your commerce. And so what's interesting is the wallet address is also tied directly to your commerce. So the, the kind of like the seriousness of that needs to be really identified. And 
people don't want to live in a world where you know that's my wallet and you know how much I'm worth in the world. That's very scary. And so those different paradigms of behavior, I think, lead to an opportunity to build a more secure and private communication that is tied to a wallet address. And it's this idea that activity actually comes before identity. In Web 2, identity came before activity. You knew who someone was, then you wanted to send them a message. In this space, because it's all public from the start, it's all in a blockchain, you can see the activity of every single wallet, what people are doing, what they're working on, what they own, what communities they're a part of, and then you might learn their identity later. And so don't just take like my word for it. If you look at the actual trends here, go to the top NFT platforms. And if we ask them, I won't let, name their names, but when we talk to them, they went from two years ago, 75% of the people signing up for the NFT platform to sell NFTs added an email address to now it's under like 40%. Wow. So the reason is these people want to connect their wallet. They want to be able to trade but they just don't want it tied to their web two identity because they don't really want to put out there and say, Hey, you know, here's how much money I own. Here's how much money I have. Um, and there's a lot of risk in that because the, the, the main fundamental thing we're doing is that by doing wallet to wallet secure messaging, discord and Twitter and email, the minute you get on them, people say, close the DMS. If you get on Discord, they say, don't DM, we don't DM you, we don't DM. And the question is why? And the reason is, is because even if you bridge the wallet to say, hey, this is the wallet address associated with this Discord identity, there's no connection that is 100% guaranteed that the person sending you a message on Discord, on email, on Twitter DMs, on whatever, is the wallet address that they say they are. And this is leading to millions and millions of dollars of scams. And and the reason is, is because it doesn't have wallet authenticated messaging. So at the first kind of area that we're focused in is secure and private messaging that is wallet authenticated. So if Matthew is sending a message to Shane or an, a wallet address that you trust because they own board apes and they have, you say, 20 grand of Ethereum in their wallet, you can see that. And now when you're communicating in the inbox, just like sending a DM in Discord, but you actually know that it's from the wallet address because it's authenticated. So you use the wallet to log in. The, the public and private key from the wallet are actually used to encrypt the message and decrypt it on the other side. And it's guaranteed that this message is sent from the wallet that they say they're sending it from. And that changes everything because now you can trust that the communication you're having is with the person who owns the wallet that you're looking at. And so you know that, hey, I'm talking to the person that owns this board ape and actually has this Ethereum. If I was talking about trading in an NFT or do the DeFi space getting updates from the compound treasury, they could say, hey, this is our actually authenticated and verified wallet address, et cetera, et cetera. There's many use cases this could be used for, but in a world where there's so much value tied to that address, it's really important to know that the person you're talking to is the person who owns the wallet address they say they own. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think that the level of social engineering scams in particular that are happening inside messaging platforms, whether it be Discord, whether it be Twitter, whether it be Telegram, et cetera, uh, in the Web3 space right now is that they're getting more and more complex. And even like the savviest people are falling victim for, for some of this. So I think having something in place at like a fundamental level where you can trust 
the individual you're speaking to is the individual you're speaking to is clearly a very important building block of trust that, that we need in the space. I, a question for you a little bit on XMTP here, right, is from what I understand, you're, you're operating at like the protocol layer. So when you talk there about like the inbox side of things, stuff like that, uh, are you talking then about there's going to be apps built on on top of it? And is that largely how you think the success of XMTP is going to be is because of the the, the types of apps that will be built on top of the protocol? How, how do you envisage this all playing out? Exactly. We see XMTP much like we see SMTP. Most people in the world don't know SMTP exists. It is the backend message delivery layer protocol that allows email to communicate with each other across different platforms. So the reason your Gmail address can actually send to a Yahoo address or an Outlook address or a Proton Mail address is because SMTP exists. So it's an interoperable and universal backend. So the way that we see it is the inboxes will live inside of all the apps you're going to use, whether it's a wallet, say a Coinbase wallet, a Rainbow wallet, a MetaMask wallet, et cetera. You can imagine in the future, there's just an inbox tab. And because of your wallet address, you now have messages showing up. The fundamental difference of how this will work is really the exciting part, which is the idea of a universal inbox which is your messages, Matthew, as you travel around the basically web three and the internet come with you. So you're not locked in, right? So you can use any front end you want. And we want there to be thousands and thousands of developers building on top of this. And if you go to Coinbase wallet and you had an inbox or you go to MetaMask or you go to compound or say OpenSea has message messages.opensea, or a new dApp is like, you know what, I'm going to do a new messaging experience. And if you log in with the wallet, you all, all of your messages across all of those services, platforms, and dApps all show up for you the same way in all of them. So when you go to any of them and you log in with your wallet, you're able to retrieve all of your messages. So you're no longer locked in like you are in the web two world. If someone does something bad or a, a kind of front end you don't like, or the experience isn't great, or things change and you want to get out, you're no longer locked into the network like you are in web two, where you can't then take that identity and all of your messaging history and move to a new front end because the, kind of the front end is also owned by the back end. So WhatsApp's encrypted, that's great, but the client's not because Facebook also owns the client, right? And so we're trying to be the secure and private backend that allows, you know, our mission is very, very simple. It's Secure and private communication, we believe, is a human right, and it should be made available to all as a public good. And so our goal is to enable thousands and thousands of front ends and developers to build all kinds of services to help protect and make a private and secure communication layer. And we're just working on the delivery of that, the storage of that, and how to make that happen for all the developers to kind of build on top of that. So how is value created for XMTP because I think one of the interesting kind of things that's been flipped on its head a little bit from web 2 to web 3 is in web 2 protocols aren't exactly the sexy profitable layer whereas in web 3 there's a huge amount of value captured at the protocol layer it, what how is it that XMTP is going to create value for itself and like the the protocol as a whole 
Yeah, we think you you capture value when you create a heck of a lot more of it. So we think about who are the people in the ecosystem that we can create a ton of value for, and then how would we do that to make a better experience for everyone in that ecosystem? So we have senders, we have receivers, we have node operators, we have developers, and we have kind of a service layer. Imagine there's an identity layer, there's a spam layer, et cetera. The first areas we're exploring are just around kind of a couple areas that we're uh, researching and planning to launch in the future. One is economic spam control. So very simply, because now we're tied to wallets, this has been tried for many years, but I think because commerce wasn't at the core of it and wallets weren't the mechanism by which you logged in, it never really took off. Um, but you can imagine that we have disincentives built into the protocol layer that if things start getting marked as spam, that it would disincentivize and cost more money to keep sending and doing that same activity. And that is one way. And then the second way is something that we're thinking about that is really think about marketers sending messages in the future. And if you want to reach 100,000 wallets with one message, the targeting tools are going to be pretty incredible because now you know how much they're worth, you know how much they own, you know what communities they're a part of, you know what tokens they have in their wallet. So I assume based on that kind of knowledge that marketers will really, 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 really love to spend a lot of money to reach the right person. So what does that mean to reach the right person? It means how can we create a dynamic fee that is at the protocol level that creates a price for the value it costs to deliver a message and ensure it's read for each person in the network. So say Matthew, say you had, you know, million dollars of Ethereum in your wallet, you hold three board apes and you have a Moonbird. some brand is really going to want to reach you. Maybe it costs $750 to reach just your wallet because it's so valuable to them, but maybe it's only $10 for someone else. And the idea of creating a dynamic price to make it valuable for anyone to be able to reach anyone, but then moving that value to the end recipient. Today, the ad and the attention engines extract the value in the middle. So Google and Facebooks and all of these ad engines are built on extracting the value for a person to be able to get your attention. They try to get your contact info to then resell it to you to get their attention. What if in the future, move that value to the end recipient? 90% of the value goes to Matthew's wallet. He gets the money. 5% of the value goes to the node operators in the network who we have to incentivize to deliver messages in a decentralized communication network. And say the other percentage or less goes to the protocol itself, the token, so the value accrues to the token. And at scale, that ecosystem, as long as the incentives are aligned, moves, I think, the value to the right place that it hasn't been in the past. Yeah, I think that it it's completely turning the current economic model for messaging and just, I guess, like the attention economy on its head. Uh, which I which I think is 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 really interesting and is a clearly an additive um, kind of layer in in what we're what we're in right now. One one thing that comes up clearly a lot when there's anything around messaging, and I know you mentioned around spam prevention, clearly very important um, and can seemingly be dealt with with economic 
disincentives uh, to, to curtail some of that. What kind of a role do you see XMTP playing, if anything, in the kind of content moderation side of things? Um, stopping or monitoring people sharing illegal images or messaging, things like that. Do you, I, I know you're going to be working at more the, the protocol layer. So do you see that being something that would need to be enforced at the application layer? Or it, it, how are you thinking about that right now? Totally. It's a great question. And I wouldn't say we have all the answers, but I think we can learn a lot from history. Um, and I think it's good to reference. So, you know, our mission is to build a secure and private communication network. And we believe secure and private communication is a human right, and it should be available to all as a public good. And what that means to us truly is it's fully decentralized. So we all own it together. We all get value from it together. Um, and that it's censorship resistant at the protocol level so that it's secure and private. And that isn't different from how SMTP works today. So just to give everyone some context, SMTP, which powers email, actually doesn't know what's passing through it. It lives at the client level. And so that's why I think it's a clear line in the sand between the protocol, XMTP, and XMTP Labs is our company that works on the protocol. We see the future as a way to make this a safe network is to support and help guide and create applications and fund and really be involved with development teams that are building the spam kind of tools, the applications that'll do their moderation. They have clear guidelines around how they're going to do it. And really to help everyone in the ecosystem in the world know, hey, we trust these applications. These are vetted by us. We support them. We're contributing to them as a company. We can contribute to open source projects. Um, and we can really help guide, know the services we can plug in to make things better. I think the AI and the tools will continue to get better. And us in the ecosystem, promoting, guiding, teaching, learning, and kind of like making sure that we're contributing to the projects and really kind of vetting the things that we think will make it a safer and better ecosystem are something that we think about a lot. That's different from XMTP, the protocol, which at its core, it's fully encrypted. It can't see anything. And that's really important to build a secure and private communication network. And so we kind of try to separate them of our job as a company and as the corporate entity of XMTP Labs is to help make this space safer, better, and really help educate and guide everyone while working with everyone in the space. And I think we separate that from the protocol's job is to be censorship resistant at its core that's fully encrypted so that we can ensure that we have a secure and private communication network. That That's great to hear. And I, th I think that there's going to be clearly a lot of innovation in the space. Uh, the other great thing is that I think on the application layer, there can be good economic incentives as well as moral and social incentives that are in place to solve for some of these challenges that inevitably are going to come up. But it sounds like what, what you're all building at the kind of protocol level is going to enable a huge amount of important activity, value to be created across Web3 and solving some really big problems. And I know we're, we're kind of coming up to time here, so I just wanted to hear from you as kind of a, a final question, really, if there are any items 
on your roadmap right now that you're kind of most excited about or things that you're in the, the near to medium term that you're you're excited to ship? Yeah, you know, I'm most excited about the opportunities for other developers to create companies on top of the protocol. If this is going to be what I think as big as or much bigger because of the economics built into it than email, SMS, et cetera, or, and I don't think it's going to replace them. I'm not like, oh, email is going to die type person. I think email actually does pretty well at what it does. But when we're talking about communicating around our assets and our wallet addresses, and if you only have a wallet address and you want to get opportunities before you give away your identity and actually open opportunity up globally to the whole world, I think is a whole new kind of window opening that is going to be very inspiring and um, kind of at a global level have a big impact. The opportunity to build the SendGrid of the space, the Twilio of the space, the MailChimp of the space, the HubSpot of the space, the Zendesk of the space, all of them have to be rebuilt from the ground up because it really is fundamentally different to have a dApp that something changes in the token on the blockchain, send a notification to all 10,000 token holders to vote on chain that want to do a DAO vote to make sure that they're voting and get the notification, which isn't lost in email and Twitter and Discord. And that tool doesn't exist. And so I'm actually most excited to spend my time with the developers showing and uh, building what the future companies that are building on top of this protocol could be. And I really think we'll be successful if in 10 years, all of the billion dollar companies that are built in Web2, like SendGrid and Twilio's, et cetera, are actually the founders that we're working with right now to build on top of the protocol. And we all kind of sail together into the future to build a more secure and private communication network. Well, it sounds incredibly exciting. I think also it must be really uh, exciting to be be a part of and be in building some of this stuff. And I think certainly a lot of the issues that you were talking about there, what developers uh, are going to be looking to solve, especially on the DAO side, one of the big challenges that many DAOs are facing is voter apathy. And I think a large portion of that is driven from poor communication around governance. And this seems like something that can really help and solve it. So Shane, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great to hear everything that you have cooking right now with XMTP and what you've also just kind of shared around your introduction into the space. And I'm sure everyone listening, myself definitely, will be following what you will do next. Hey, thanks for having me. And, you know, I just want to go build more meaningful communication together. And I really am genuinely excited to meet more people who want to kind of start from the beginning and get to build all of the tools, the governance, and be an owner of the future and do this together. That's great. I'm on board. Let's do it. <laughs> Love it. All right, Shane. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation, why not subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a positive review. You want to catch up on all of the previous episodes? Why not visit decryptingcrypto.xyz, follow us on Twitter at decryptopodcast. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or just want to leave us some personal feedback, 
email us at podcast at decryptingcrypto.xyz. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.